Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. My name is H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And hey, everybody, I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, guys, today we are excited to have as our guest uh, Muhammad Saleh. Muhammad is a lean consultant. He has his own uh, consulting company. It's called Visibility, and that's with a Z and not an S. And he has been, um, as I said, been a lean consultant for the last 20 years. And uh, Muhammad, welcome to uh, Connecting the Dots podcast. And, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I started my, I would say, I'll call it lean journey around 20 years ago. Um, I was at that time in aerospace. Um, designing seats for airplanes, um, a division of Boeing, and uh, got a little bit, uh, a taste of, uh, at that time, the Toyota production system and and got to see a few of the Shingahitsu consultants in the areas kind of doing some of the work. And um, I was uh, the chief um, uh, occupational health officer in that plant. I also happened to own a uh, medical group. He was the CEO of a medical group hmm. and said, you know what, um, he had flew out to Virginia Mason. He kind of did some training there and kind of pulled me in into the medical group. And uh, at that time, I didn't think it really applied to healthcare, um, but I jumped in and uh, I, I haven't went back. So I'm, I'm assuming it works. <laughs> I'm also a professor at Central Connecticut State University and um, and uh, Elms College uh, in both Connecticut and Massachusetts. And so uh, that's kind of what, what I've been doing these days. Well, it's really great again to, to have you on the program, and, and I want to you know, circle back to something you just said. When you first got into, you know, lean or condition improvement in, in healthcare, you didn't think it really applied. Tell mm-hmm. us, tell us why you thought that. There's probably yeah, a lot listening to the podcast that feel the same way still. Well, um, you know what? That's a great question. I. Um... I, I spent a good amount of my uh, research in the last, I would say, 16 years or so trying to understand principles over tools. But in the beginning of my journey, it was very much tool based. Um, and so at that time, I, I really didn't see how like a SMED or changeover is applicable to healthcare. I couldn't really understand like um, how like even 5S would be applicable. Uh, and so things like that, as as I was looking at it, I was so programmed. Uh, you know, my wife introduces me as a recovering mechanical engineer, uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> and and I still am. And so, there's just uh, if if you look at it through the tools and uh, not look at it as the intent behind the tool, then uh, really it is a hard leap for you to make. But once you understand the intent and the driving principle that's around that tool, then it's really applicable to any industry. Sure. As Jake said, you know, there's a lot of people who who remain skeptical about applying those lean principles to to healthcare. that, you know, you're dealing with human beings. You're not dealing with widgets. You're not dealing with airplane seats or cars or whatnot. But, you know, we also talk a lot about systems and, you know, a system is basically just a collection of things or parts that are working together to achieve a common goal. And, you know, You've got technical systems and you have social systems, but you, you like to talk about uh, socio-technical systems. Te- elaborate on that and, and explain to us what a socio-technical system is. Wow. That, so there's so many different ways I could answer that, uh, but I'm just going to really quickly 
around 2011, um, I was actually questioning the effectiveness of lean um, and uh, was wondering if there was other things out there that either are better, different. And what I quickly came to realize, it's actually there's nothing wrong with this approach or this methodology. It's just how we're applying it. I think that's the problem. And so I spent a good amount trying to understand what is it about organizations that repel these systems or what is it about organizations that like either accelerate or impede certain transformations. And I started analyzing each one of the systems. So I, I dove into the daily management system, the strategy deployment system, value streams, people systems. And I really went through each one trying to understand if there's a correlation. And what I came to quickly realize is I was treating the organizations as a customer or as a product, I'll call it that, and not really dissecting the socio characteristics of that organization. Uh, especially you hear it a lot, especially in healthcare, people saying, you know what, we're different. Um, and at that time, I used to smile thinking, no, we're, you're not different. Everyone's pretty much the same. And I quickly realized, no, they are very different. Um, there's they, they, they have certain they embody certain characteristics and each one of those characteristics has an, a, 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 um, a thought to this new system that you're bringing in. And if you isolate it, only looking at it through a leadership commitment lens or just through a um, like a union versus on union lens, or you're really missing a, a significant amount of other characteristics that will impede or accelerate your transformation. And sometimes you don't know why you're winning or why you're losing in these transformations because you didn't really understand those socio characteristics. And so in my work, um, I started uh, embodying uh, or going down the path of a doctorate to try to understand what that would look like. And, and I ended up with um, a, a place where I identified 12 socio-characteristics for organizations that would have a role to any of those technical systems that I just named. And so if I could just quickly go through them, just to kind yeah. of uh, orient sure, we'd love for you, to. you and, the, and the audience. Um, and just to, to make it simple, it's really four big domains of characteristics. The first domain is leadership. And most of the Lean community or the change community in general beats that one up um, and focuses on that one. And, uh, and they have every right to, because as I kind of dove deeper and deeper into it, it is one of the most significant domains in all four of those domains. And in that domain of leadership, there's people and teamwork skills. That's a characteristic. Um, and that really focuses on like team effectiveness. We start looking at, you know, are we asking versus telling? We start some of Edward Shine's work. We start looking at some of Stephen Denning's work around, um, are we revolving around the customer or is the customer revolving around us and trying to change that mindset there? Um, and in that, um, we get an understanding, okay, how is the people and teamwork skills in leadership in that organization? If, if there's team effectiveness, then it will accelerate the transformation. If there, if it's uh, if it's more teamwork and not team effectiveness or task work, I might say, um, and not you know everyone's doing what they're supposed to do, but they're not really acting as a cohesive team, then you're going to run into a lot of challenges and barriers when you're going through this. The second one was leadership commitment, and the third one was leadership's participation. So those three things, when you go into an organization, are usually what's highlighted in most books. Um, as the driving force around that. The second domain is the culture domain. Um, and in that, there's also three characteristics. The first one is employee participation. 
Um, and that what that when we go into an organization, so let's call it the daily management system, and, and we're trying to um, help shift from whatever management system we have today to the new management system that we want to get to, we start looking at how are people engaged? Are they disengaged completely? Are, are they more in trying to just stabilize right now mode? Or have they overcome that and they're more in an improvement mode? Because if they're already in an improvement mode and you come in with this philosophy, it's embraced. Um, if you're if they're in survival mode or disengaged mode, uh, and you come in with this, good luck. Um, it's it's just it's it's going to be very challenging. The second the second characteristic in culture is two way communication. Um, that's the one I spend most of my work in uh, using daily management system. It really does facilitate facilitate a two way communication. But we start looking at hierarchy in this process and understanding how does the hierarchy work. Um, I start looking a little bit into like Conway's law to try to understand how, is is it the way they're communicating and so then designed a company or a system to emulate the way they've communicated already. Um, is it a power index issue? Um, is 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 there too much of a, a gap between the front line and the and, and the leadership teams? Um, is there information clotting going on? You specifically around middle management, and you know if I drop an information at the top, does it make its way to the bottom? If I, you know, call for help on the bottom, does it ever make its way to the top? And start analyzing and understanding how does that characteristic work here, and how and and what its current state look like? And the third one is open communication. Um, is are we in a place that is more vulnerable and trusting, or are we in a place that's more fearful and lacks psychological safety? Uh, and so that's the second domain. The third domain is change. Um, in change, um, there's three characteristics. The first one is how the organization is resisting change. Um, that might mean that maybe you're the third or fourth transformation for this organization and they're done with it. Uh, mm -hmm. They've been enough uh, flavors of the month that it doesn't matter what you do, they've already written you off um, in this, or this might be their first transformation ever, and they're super excited. So each one has pros and cons to it, but it's important to understand how that characteristic is going to respond to that system. Um, and so, and then the, um, uh, so that's the 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 the, the culture. Um, in change, um, we start looking is the the third domain, and we start looking into that resistance to change. We start looking in, at training. How do they are? How are people developed today? Um, are they developed through like, you know, a health stream, check the box, I did it, and that's the only development they get? Um, or is it on the job training with specific Jake, coaches? Jake, what is it, health streams? I don't no, know. We, we <laughs> don't do that. No, I, I'm no. teasing. We, 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 we have health streams, Mohammed. Uh, <laughs> And then the third thing, which I really struggled to put it under change because I felt like it fell under leadership, but a lot of the research does put it under change, is the leadership's character. Um, how is the leadership's character going to accelerate or hinder change? Um, and so we start looking at, are they more, you know, do they compromise? Do they walk the walk? Um, do they motivate through like non-materialistic things? Um, and so we start diving deeper into that and starting to understand, okay, um, you know, how is 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 um, development a priority for those individuals? And start understanding, are, are they leading with humility um, or not? And so each one of those changes the impact you're going to have on the adoption of this new system. And then the last the last domain is what I call intrinsic factors. 
Um, and a lot of publications out there that talk about intrinsic factors throw out, throw out these you know, terms like, oh, for a company this big, it's going to take you seven years to change it. And it used to boggle me where these numbers came from. Like, how do you know it's seven years? Like, how do you not know it's 10 years? How do you not know if it's five years? Like, and why is it a destination in the first place? Um, and so um, we start looking at like the size of the organization. What do they have to say? Because bigger organizations have um, some pros. Uh, they're usually not resource limited. Um, smaller organizations are usually resource limited, but they're able to pivot faster. And so each one has their pros and cons as well, and that impacts the new system that you're bringing in. And the other two is the age of the organization, because the, the older the organization, the more status quo is kind of embedded into that organization. Um, and and, and the, younger, the, the younger organizations um, don't have a lot of tribal knowledge yet. So each one has pros and cons to it. And then the last one in that domain of intrinsic factors is union versus non-union. Um, though that showed up in the research as being a significant characteristic. Um, and um, and there's other characteristics that didn't make the list in this domain, specifically in healthcare, like academic versus non-academic centers. That played a significant role, but it didn't make the top three. Um, and so these are the characteristics. If you, we look at each one of them in kind of a, a silo sense and say, what what opinion does this characteristic have on this new technical system I'm bringing in? Your your chances of adoption are much greater uh, than if you just went into it with an assumption that it's leadership and just focusing on that. That was really interesting. You said a lot there that you know I think we can we can talk about. One of the things you said at the beginning. Um, was that organizations repel these initiatives. And, and I thought that I'd never heard that before, uh, but it makes a lot of sense. We're in January right now. A lot of people, you know, start the new year with some New Year's resolutions that, you know, they want to start exercising or, or you know, eating better. And uh, the, the human body oftentimes will just repel those initiatives <laughs> and uh, we'll go back right back to the status quo. But, you know, a few a few people are able to stick with it. Um, it's a you know, small minority. Um, and then after a period of time, the body gets to the point where not doing their morning exercise or, you know, eating healthy uh, feels abnormal. They developed it into a habit. Um, and, and I know you got to look at all of those, those four big domains when you're, when you're trying to assess whether an organization can adopt to this change. Um, Take us through just just a little bit about the interplay between the domains and, you know, how an organization can understand uh, before trying to initiate a change if it's ready. That's great. Um, I'll give two quick examples uh, just to kind of highlight how this model is useful. Um, the first one is uh, I'm just going to pick on a domain. Let's call it leadership character. Uh, our, our characteristic, let's call it leadership character. And so in the. Um, the change domain leadership character, um, if we start looking at um, some of the behaviors in the organization, and I'm gonna be a little harsh here in my example just to illustrate this, but if you go into an organization and you realize the leadership team at the top is very arrogant, um, they're, um, they're, uh, they scrutinize everything, um, they're so result focused that they don't really care how you get the result as long as you get the result. Um, these are behaviors. And so uh, you say, OK, well, I'm, I'm curious, what is the design principle for that individual that allowed or um, uh, that 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 enabled that person to behave this way? 
So you have to go back to that management system um, and understand, okay, what is the design principle in that management system? Let's call it daily management. And it might be that this person's be belief or principle is that they are right. They're a legend in their head um, and, and they don't see the need to really um, you know, extrapolate uh, what's working and what's not working from the front line because they already think they know everything. Um, well, OK, so then what is the design principle that you want to, to to enforce that will change these behaviors? And you start to say, OK, maybe leading with humility is a principle. OK, so what does leading humility mean in a daily management system? Well, that could mean that in, when you're doing your leader standard work, um, that your intent as you go out there is that you're constantly seeking feedback. That's a behavior. Uh, it could be that you're um, uh, looking at being curious versus judgmental, understanding separate realities. Um, these are behaviors that you want to shift from the arrogant or the, 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 the non-participative to the other one. And so um, then we say, okay, so the violation to that principle was in our system. And so we can't just enforce new behaviors. We have to change the system to force these new behaviors. Um, and that's only looking at leadership character. Um, and that's not even looking at all the other ones. And so what ends up happening is that you end up with these opportunities in each one of those characteristics that when you put them together, it brings a, a lot more, you're a lot more informed when you go into this transformation or this change. That's one example. The other one, which no one likes me saying, but it's very popular in healthcare, is um, let's look at people and teamwork skills. If one of my principles as an organization um, is um, self over team, um, which is obviously not something that we you know we enjoy saying, but when you look at something um, self over team and people being kind of put up against each other in organizations, and you start asking, well, what system is driving that? You might find that that your management system, the comp the the merit increases or the performance reviews that are done annually are recognizing the individual, not the team. Um, and so if all four of us are together, one of us is only going to get an exceeds. Um, so I'm not incentivized to help my team um, because I'm that's 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 a violation to that system. And so you say, all right, well, I want to switch it to team over self. Well, to switch it to team over self, you would have to change the compensation of that, of how you reward people in the end of the year. And that would become the opportunity in that domain. So. Hopefully I, that was helpful. Um, two examples. Sure. Oh, and yeah, they, they were. And and when we talk about, um, you know, there are a lot of organizations that decide, OK, we're going to go through a lean transformation, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, unfortunately, a lot of those organizations fail. Mm -hmm. And and do you think it's because they those organizations fail to do a proper assessment of of where they are currently? And are there measures that they could take? You know, hey, we, we, we want to do this lean transformation, but we may not be ready now. You know, there's some changes we have to make within our culture in order to make that more. More successful. And, and is that something that you someone like yourself could, could help help an organization with? Does that, does that uh, question make sense? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the answer is yes. Um, the, 
the, the, there's so many assessments out there that are very useful. The, um, th this is not a re replacement to those assessment tools when you go into organizations. Things like the Baldridge, Malcolm Baldridge assessment or the Shingo assessment, those are two I use frequently and I'm very uh, a huge advocate to it. But I feel like the, or when people are doing these transformations, they really don't understand their own organization, their current state. And so it's really just no different than an A3 or a CADA process of just understanding what is going on here first. And each one of those characteristics surfaces opportunities that if ignored, will hinder those transformations so and and you you um you mentioned that for for much of your career you were all about the tools you know the yes. tools and the tools and the tools mm -hmm. and what what caused you to to say okay it's it's not all about the tools because we got all these great tools but it's but it ain't working what what made you change your mind um, I would say, well, it started around um, uh, well, 12 years at this point that I started thinking of principles, and it really came from the Shinko Institute. Um, I, I started like really focusing on, okay, well, does the tool really matter? Does it matter if I call it 5S or 6S? Um, does it matter? Like, you know, I, I've seen all these uh, debates on um, uh, both LinkedIn and in communities around like, you know, who's right and who's wrong. And at the end of the day, I realized it's not even about the tool at all. Um, it's really about the mindset and the principle behind that mindset. And so um, really the tool is just a vehicle to be able to enable that principle to come to life. And you need a system to be able to do that for you. And so um, once I started seeing it that way, it all became about principles and really the, the opportunities around are what, what are the what, what are the systems doing to violate those principles, which is a, really the opportunity to change that culture. Um, and it might be lean tools. It might not be lean tools, but um, uh, I could say uh, the principles are the principles. And so if you, you know, you could use the shingle principles, those are the ones I use, but there's other principles out there from different books. Uh, I'm huge on team over self as a principle. That's not one of the shingle ones, but those are, that's one that's near and dear to my heart. Um, so it really that's that was my shifting point is when I realized the tool itself will not get you anywhere as long as as long as you're not shifting the people's beliefs and mindsets in the company. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, this isn't a great analogy, but 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 Lance Armstrong, his book, you know, it, it's not about the bike. <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. it's not the bike. Yeah. You know, it's the person on the bike plus all the the doping that I'm doing and what, no, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing, I'm, <laughs> I'm teasing, but, but you, you guys know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, you talked about mindset and you mentioned readiness to change earlier. Uh, and, you know, right now we're, you know, three years into the pandemic. We have a lot of burnout uh, with medical staff, uh, a lot of turnover with nursing, you know, staffing shortages all around. Um, Right now probably wouldn't be a time to try to introduce a large lean transformation or try any sort of new large initiative with this regard, given that, you know, the, the population of people you're trying to affect is just struggling. Um, what can what can you tell us about what to do during these times? What what can um, lean and other methodologies offer when maybe your population right now is, is not is not ready for something new, but you still, as an organization, need to improve. You know that, that that's a really good question, and it's it's such a, a conversation piece right now in in so many different corners of the com lean community. Um, 
and and I, just my opinion about that it, it could be wrong um is i feel like at this moment in time it's needed so much more than any other time um and let me just elaborate on that because it, it's hard for especially senior leaders and executives to see that but one of the biggest drivers of burnout is work overload um and retention of staff and um and finding staff to begin with and so when you have a front I'll, I'll just pick on an office if you have a medical group office let's say a primary care office and you're supposed to have five receptions and you only have three um well you could eliminate maybe a good amount of waste look at your phone tree look at how you're checking in look at all this extra waste that you're doing behind the scenes and look at all those non-value added steps that are happening so maybe you don't need those other two your problem goes away. Um, it doesn't go, it, but the hard part about that is you need those three to step out of their current role to be able to help you with some improvements. So that's the the, the catch 22, is that you know you could just live with this and become the victim of this process and wait. And I'm I'm really I don't think it's going to go any I don't think it's going to go back to how it used to be. Yeah. And so and I think the conditions of staffing is going to stay the same. So I feel like at this time being able to reduce enough waste just to be able to work so you don't have work overload. Uh, work overload is like one of the six drivers of um, burnout and right now it's it's just uh, you know if you don't do anything you're just going to lose more people um and you can't find people and so it's uh, i feel like right now it's probably the the most important time to actually do it even though it's the hardest time to do it but it does take a lot of courageous leaders to step up and do that yeah boy you you mentioned something that that really hit home with me and that that's kind of you know the victim mentality meaning okay we're we're in this situation and there's you know how can we how can we work on continuous improvement right now when we're just trying to keep our keep our heads above water but i mean you know that's what we really should be focusing on is how can we how can we do the work smarter and how can we do it how can we eliminate waste as you said and 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 eliminate the non value added things so i mean i really appreciate that 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 helps me a lot it's a very hard time for people to step up and uh, and, and as i talk to different leaders across different systems uh, they're all everyone everyone's struggling i have not seen a healthcare system that says oh we're okay um and i think it's universal Staffing is a is, is in uh, probably the, the the worst healthcare has ever seen, um, and so if you don't, there's a cost of not doing it. So one other thing that you mentioned um, that maybe didn't rise to the to the you know, top of being a principal driver, but was important was academic versus non-academic health systems. Um, what can you tell us about that difference? So. The, the reason it didn't make it up is age muddied the water a little bit. For some reason, a lot of the institutions that have been longer established are academic uh, in nature to some degree. So it almost felt like the data was almost similar in both situations if you picked age or you picked academic versus non-academic. But there is a, when you're dealing with an academic setting, um, there's a lot of uh, rituals that have already been established in that in, the, in, in, in that industry. And, um, you know, being uh, in also the academic world for a long time, um, I could tell you they have their own set of issues um, and, and they're different than healthcare's. And so now putting them together just magnifies how hard it is to change because you're working really with two different entities to some degree. Um, so is it easier or harder at an academic oh, center? 
I would it's say harder. it's much harder, at least okay. from my I was expecting the opposite. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me more. Why? Why do you expect the opposite? Well, you know, academic centers you're, you're want to promote learning, and um, you know, you would imagine that an organization that's dedicated to learning would want to learn how to get better. Let, let, let me ask you this: is for you know, along that same theme is. Um, I would think that academic potentially could be could be a little easier, but I also understand you've got the old academia where every, every they everything's set in stone. But what about? Let me ask you this: What about healthcare systems where all the providers are employed versus not employed? Have, have, have you looked at that? I actually haven't, um, but I've just been curious it. because. Uh, you know, because a lot of times that, that's that's one of the things that you see in our in our health system. We we do have a lot of employed providers, but a lot of our providers aren't employed, and a lot of times the goals aren't aligned, and and sometimes that can be a challenge of, of getting those goals aligned. Yeah, um, I would say uh, the in the academic space uh, in general. Um, Yes, they are huge on learning. They are, um, but they also have. Um, um, they're set in their ways in in, in many ways. Um, I I haven't seen. Um, the, I I would say, and I and I don't I I can't make assumptions of what the root causes are, but I would say the the hierarchical and the power index in the academic world is much higher than the healthcare world. Um, which, um, you know, if I'm tenure in the academic world, that means something of significance. Um, and uh, to be able to change that individual's mindset is much harder than, at least from my experience, than in um, uh, than um, than in, in the other setting. However, when you look at employed versus unemployed uh, versus not employed, for the longest time, I thought employed was the easier route. Um, that when they're not directly employed to you, it makes it much harder. But I'm working with a client now, um, uh, 18,000 employees, a healthcare system, and um, there's a lot of unemployed that are super into this um, and very engaged and 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 want to be part of this. So it almost made me reconsider my assumption that uh, employed is uh, is is easier than not employed. Hmm. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you, you sure did. And, uh, you know, this is uh, Muhammad. This has been a great discussion and, uh, you know, we could we could continue on all day. And I think, you know, as. Um, you know, as Skip would like to say, you know, you, you can't you can't only focus on the technical and pay lip service to the to the social. I mean, you have to you have to focus on on both and and, and probably. Is it safe to say that you, you you need to focus on the social more than you do the technical or or at least as much? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the technical really is just a vehicle. Uh, the behaviors come out of that. Um, but if you don't pay attention to the behaviors, really, it's it's uh, what John Dyer would call like a facade of excellence almost like you have nice window dressing, but no one's mindset has shifted. No one's behaviors has changed. Um, things look like you're doing lean, but. It's not.
a facade of excellence. I like that. Yeah. Well, Muhammad, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, we would like to thank you once again for being on our podcast, and uh, we hope that you will um, you'll consider coming back sometime soon. And, and for Absolutely. all of our listeners out there, you can redeem uh, listening for CME. Uh, and I think, Jake, the details are on the show notes. That is correct. That is correct. And um, so on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you guys very much. And uh, we'll see you guys later. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. I enjoyed it.